Let us just pray for one another that that would really be the cry of our hearts. Father, this morning, God, we just come to you, Lord God, as your sons, as your daughters, my God. And Father, it is my prayer today, Lord God, for us as your people that, Lord, it would really be all about you, God. That it would really be all about your kingdom, about your glory, God. That you really would be the center of all of our lives, God. That from the beginning to the end, Lord God, that it would be all about you, Jesus. Father God, we pray for those beside us, Lord God, those that we're locked with hands together. Father God, let you be, Lord God, the center of their lives, my God. Oh, Father God, that nothing else would matter as much as you, God, but that you would be everything, that you would be all in all, that you would be, Lord God, the central focus, the greatest motivation, the deepest desire, Lord God, that we have, Father, that it would not just be songs that we sing, but God, that it would be a desperate heart before you that says, God, we want it to be all about you, God. We want it to be all about you, Jesus. We want it to be all about your greatness, your love, because really, Really, at the end of the day, God, it is all about you, God. You are the one that humbled yourself, Lord God, even to the death of the cross, my God. You are the one, Lord God, who earned the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, my God. And so, Lord, this morning, we bow to you, God. You are the great I am. bless you this morning, God, and we give you all praise in the great and glorious name of Jesus. Someone said, come on and give your God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Praise the name of the Lord. As you open your Bibles with me to the book of John, our children can be dismissed to Kids Dome. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We serve a great God, don't we? Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. We'll be, we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 14 to verse 18 as we continue on in our series, The Real Jesus. And the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. God, thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that is here, and thank you, God, because you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you because you love us first, God. We thank you, Lord God, because today we can come to you, Lord God, as your children to hear your word. And God, I pray for those in here that may not be your children, God, that today that they would be reconciled to you, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be overwhelmed by the realities of the truths that we find in the scriptures. And I ask you, Lord God, that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful, dutiful hearers and doers of your word. Father, be glorified. Use me in Jesus' great name. Everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand. 
If you don't have an outline, really quickly want to make sure everyone has an outline so you can follow along in the beginning portion so that way you will have opportunity to take notes as well. Um, These outlines, keep your hands up so the ushers can see you if you don't have an outline. These outlines are really important. There's two things. One of them, obviously, for me, is you can follow along with us. That's one thing that's really important. The second reason why the outline is so important is because in our Connect groups, our Connect Life groups, we meet weekly and we discuss the sermons that are preached. We go over the scriptures again. And so while you're sitting down there and you're taking notes and you're um, looking at the questions that are there within the outline, when you get together with your brothers and sisters in Connect, then what you do is you're able to discuss those topics. And we believe that it is one thing for you to hear the word of God, which is very important, but we also believe that it's really easy to hear the word of God while you're sitting down in your seats and then walk out of here saying that was good or mentally assenting to it, but not really growing beyond that. And what we want to make sure is that we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And the word of God teaches us that we have not only been redeemed to Jesus, but we have been redeemed to one another. The Bible teaches us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man's countenance. In other words, what happens is as we come together and as we discuss the word of God, as we talk with one another, we are able to sharpen one another and help each other grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of us is called to live a life solitary as a Christian. Amen. And so, if you're not part of a Connect Life group, I encourage you to see Pastor Chad. He's sitting in the back today. His throat is a little bit, a lot messed up, not a little bit. And so, he can't really talk, but he'll be willing to whisper to you, amen, and help you get connected. And so, um, definitely see him. We want to see everyone that is, part of this, that is part of this congregation be part of Connect. We really believe. How many of you have been blessed by Connect? If you've been blessed by Connect, I mean, seriously, like, all jokes aside, um, I mean, I'm just letting you know that if you are not part of a, of, of a Connect Life group, you're missing out. Are you hearing me? The, 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 the underlying statement is because life is meant to be shared. Amen? Life is meant to be shared, and so we want to grow with you. And so we're continuing on in our, outline, or in our series here, The Real Jesus. We're going through the Gospel of John. And as you've noticed, every week we've taken a piece of the Gospel of John, and we're taking it by, by small pieces. And the reason is because chapter 1 is filled with a lot of good, good, good stuff, and we don't want to just go by anything and just bypass it like it's not important. We want to take the time to dig into the Scriptures and walk through the passages together. And there'll be some passages that we'll probably go through a whole chapter together, but chapter 1 is just not like that unless you want to be sitting here for five hours. Hello, somebody. You know, falling out of windows, like the book of Acts talks about Paul when he was preaching one day, and he preached till midnight, and some boy fell out the window. The good thing we're on the first floor, so you're not going to fall far. Amen. But the reality is, I know you don't want to be here for five hours, and I mean, I would love to be here for five hours, but I don't want to be here for five hours either, if I can just confess, honestly. So we're going to go ahead and take a piece by piece, and we'll break it down, you know, maybe an hour together or something like that. But nonetheless, we're in this portion of Scripture here, which is very important for us. Um, In in our study of John, you can follow in your outline here, in our study of John, we have learned that Jesus is the Lagos. The eternal and creative word of God, that word, that word in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God is the word Lagos, for those of you that weren't with us in our first week. And so Jesus is the Lagos. He is the eternal and creative word. He is the light and the life of all men who is ever shining and offering eternal life to all who will believe in him through this gospel. And so what we have here is that we understand who Jesus is, right? I said this, and I want to continue to communicate this. If you change Jesus, you change Christianity. 
If you change Jesus, if you change who Jesus is, if you don't embrace what the scriptures teach about Jesus, you change Christianity, you change the picture of God. And here's the thing that we realize in this particular portion of scripture, God comes down from earth and he or he comes down from heaven to earth to become a man in order to do what? In order to bring us to the place that we're supposed to be. Jesus does, and that's, that, that's what we're talking about today is that God became a man. That's the title of this, of, of this message this morning. And so what we have to have is the right definition of Jesus. And today, we will look at one of the most important scriptures regarding the incarnation, the doctrine of Jesus and the truth of God humbling humbling himself and becoming a man for our sakes. And when I say this is important, is because it is very clear that the Bible teaches that God became a man, that Jesus Christ, God the Son, became a man. He came to this earth, and, and John goes through this um, big doctrinal stuff because he wants us to understand this. He wants us to believe. He wants us to know who Jesus is, that Jesus really is God the Son. It is important to understand, third paragraph in your outline there, it is important to understand many mystical religions teach of men ascending in consciousness and becoming like God, yet the Bible, Christianity, doesn't teach this heresy. That is false teaching. We are not becoming gods. We are not going from one level to the next level till we arrive in nirvana or something like that. We are going to live our lives, and the truth of the matter is that we will become more and more like Jesus. We are image bearers of God, but we are not God. We, are, we will never be God. We will always be beneath him, even in a glorified state. Amen? And so the reality is what God wants us to do is understand what he desires for us. And so he comes to this earth. So we cannot and will never become gods. But God becomes like us to save us from our sinfulness, to make us like him in nature and character. Yet we remain humanity being perfected while he is the only divinity perfect in holiness. See, so what happens is no matter how holy we become, what happens, what, what will never happen is we will never arrive at the place of perfection while we are still living in this earth. Are you with me? We will get closer and we'll become more and more like Jesus. But the reality is, and I've communicated this, this before, it's funny because usually the people who are the furthest from God feel like they're the closest. And the people who are the closest to God feel like they're the furthest. The people who are more close, and, and, and to give you an example of this, is a guy by the name of Isaiah. If you go into the Old Testament, you meet this guy in, ch in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. He had been prophesying for six chapters, and all of a sudden, this man, and when you read it, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome depiction of what the glory of God will do to someone who really has an encounter with God, who is really close to God in proximity. See, when, the closer I become to God, the closer or the more I begin to understand his holiness, the more I begin to understand his perfection, and the more that I begin to understand how holy he is, I begin to understand how unholy I am. And so I feel further from him. And Isaiah, when he has this encounter with God, he says something. He says, woe is me. He says, I'm undone. A guy that was prophesying, and, and, and I've asked this question before, what did Isaiah do from the moment he had this encounter with God to the moment he said those words, nothing but encounter God? It wasn't like he lied. Why was he a man of unclean lips? Because he understood the holiness of God. He understood the purity of God. And so the reality is we will continue to grow in our holiness and grow in our character and likeness in the, in, 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 in the image of Jesus. But we will never come to the place of perfection. God is the only one who is perfect. Amen. So this first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say God becomes flesh and shows us his glory. So the first thing that we look at in the text here is it says, in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so verse 1 communicates to us that God became human. God showed us his glory. God offered us grace and truth. God literally tabernacled among us, is what the scripture says. It says that God dwelt among us. He tabernacled. He was there. And when, and when you look at this word dwelt or this word tabernacled, what it literally means for us is that it, or what it does is it brings us back to an Old Testament picture. And what happened was when the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness, there was something called the tabernacle of meeting. And in the tabernacle of meeting, the tabernacle of meeting sat in the center, right, of Israel. All of the tribes were surrounding this tabernacle. Why is this important? You know, when we sing this song this morning, Jesus at the center of it all, right? Jesus be the center of my life. What we are asking is that picture that we see in the Old Testament, right, that God paints for us. He shows us that he wants to be what? He wants to be the center of all things. I've said this before, I don't like the idea of God being first in your life because then it's like you check him off. Like once you pray, then you leave God there in your prayer closet or something. I like the idea of God being the center of your life so that way he is, in, that way he is first in everything you do. Are you hearing me? And it's real easy for me to say, you know what, I had a meeting with God first thing in the morning, and I talked with Jesus, and then somehow people, and listen, I've met people like this, and this not any bust on anyone. We are all sinful. We are all fallen by nature. Hello. But I've met people that I've seen, I've literally seen them, I've watched them have their prayer time, and they've been on their knees, and then I don't know what happened to Jesus from the time they got up to the time that they had some encounters. Hello. And what happens is some things occur, and it's like, but if Jesus remains the center of our lives, then that becomes a different life-transforming scenario because in every situation that I deal with, and every encounter that I have with people, and every dealing that I have in different scenarios of my life, guess what? Jesus is always first because he is the center. But that requires you and I to do something. It requires us to discipline ourselves in our thinking, to discipline ourselves in the way that we live our lives. And so, and so John tells us here, and the word became flesh, the logos, the creative, the eternal word. He becomes flesh. When it says he puts on flesh, it means that he literally puts on flesh and blood like you and I. He literally comes into this earth. The only difference is he does not put on sinful flesh. He puts on human flesh. This is important for us because if Jesus is sinful, he cannot save us. But he is 100% man and 100% God at the same time. On, Tuesday, on Wednesday night in our mentoring program, that we're talk, we just talked about Jesus, the doctrine of Jesus, and we went through this. And that is one of those things that we cannot fully grasp and get our head around, is that God is 100% fully God and fully man at the same time. That's tough to understand. We don't have to understand that. We have to believe it by faith and understand that that is what the scriptures teach. But Jesus was 100% man. He comes to this earth, and he becomes flesh, and he dwells among us. So when we look at this tabernacle, what did the tabernacle represent? It represented the place of the law. It represented the abode of God or the dwelling of God. It represented the source of God's revelation. It represented the site of sacrifice, and it represented the focus of worship. Now look at this. In all of this now, the new covenant, Jesus is all of those things. Well, let's look at it. Jesus is the place of the law for us. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment or the fulfiller of the law. And then what does he do? He expounds the law to let us know how we're supposed to live. Jesus is the abode of God. Why? Because we can now see God. And the Bible says what? It says that the fullness of God dwelled in who? Jesus. 
The fullness of the Godhead, the book of Colossians said, dwelt in him bodily. And so we see the abode of God. There's, there's a picture. And then we see the source of revelation. We learned last week that the testimony of Jesus Christ is what? Is the spirit of prophecy. And so all revelation should be doing what? Should be pointing us to Jesus, not pointing us away from Jesus. So he is that as well. He is the site of sacrifice. Well, Jesus was what? He was the ultimate sacrifice for us. He was the final blood sacrifice that had to be made in order for men to be forgiven of sins. And then the last thing, obviously, because he is the place of the law, the abode of God, the source of revelation, the site of sacrifice, Jesus becomes the focus of our worship. We want to worship him because of how great, because of how glorious, because of how merciful he is. We want to honor him. The incarnation, church, is, an, is a fundamental faith element. We're going to come back to the Gospel of John, but turn to 1 John, the epistle, 1 John, toward the back of your Bible, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I want you to see what the apostle says here. Same writer. He speaks something that's very, very important for us to understand this. This is a fundamental faith element. 1 John, chapter 4, and verse 1, and so I'll start reading as you're turning there. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, remember we talked about last week, right? We talked about the testimony of Jesus, the communication, the witness of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy. And he says, all, he says, many false prophets. In other words, many people who have gone out there declaring that they are speaking on behalf of God have gone out into the world. Listen, this, this book, this, this particular book was written close to 2,000 years ago. When, when, the, when the Apostle John writes this, can I tell you something? These false prophets have never stopped going. Hello. They continue going. They continue to move forward. They continue to bring, the, the, and, and this was crazy, is that if people would just study history, they probably wouldn't be so many false prophets. Are you hearing me? Why? Well, because if you look at church history, if you look at all of the heresies that came out in the church, what you'll find is much of the stuff that you find today, people prophesying and talking about and teaching falsely, guess what? Those things were already argued about and debated about centuries ago. But because men don't want to study, they want revelation without foundation, hello, then they end up falling into the same heresies, the same deceptions. And so the Apostle John, he says that, that, that these false spirits, we're supposed to test every spirit. But how do we test these spirits? He says, by this you know. Now, 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 now that, that, that's important right there. He didn't say, by this you might, you, you, you might know. He didn't say that. He said, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And so, what, and, and so what John says here in the, in the epistle is he says, look, you want to know if someone is, if this is the right message that you're hearing? Well, what is, it, what is their testimony about Jesus? Did Jesus really come in the flesh? What does that mean? Did he really, was he really born of a virgin? Did he really come as a sinless man? Did he really live in the flesh like you and I? Was he really tempted like you and I were? Was he really, 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 really man? See, because some heresies tell you that Jesus, when he came to this earth, they say, oh, yeah, Jesus came to this earth, but he was like an alien speaking to us. He wasn't, he wasn't really flesh and blood. Hold on a second. That's the wrong spirit. That's not the Jesus of the Bible because the Jesus of the Bible says what? And the word, the logos of God, became flesh. 
God becomes a man for us so that we can be saved from our what? From our sinfulness. And so the incarnation fundamental shows us that anyone who does not believe or confess Jesus Christ came in the flesh, literally became a man, is not of God but of the devil, the Antichrist. And so why is this important? Antichrist. When we think about anti, we think against. But can I give you a way to think about this also? It's not just against Christ. It's a replacement of Christ. See, the enemy doesn't care if you worship someone named Jesus. He just cares that you worship the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't care who your God is. He doesn't care about the name of your God. What he cares about is that you're worshiping a false deity, that you're worshiping the wrong Jesus. That you're wor- we, we talked about some false Jesuses last week, the one that, you know, Jesus is the brother of Satan in one religion, right? No, that's not true. Jesus is not the brother of Satan. That is not true. Jesus is not created order. Jesus is creator, God. Jesus is not a God. He is God the Son. He's not just one of many gods. He is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we realize this, but when we talk about Antichrist, oh yes, the enemy is against Christ for sure, but you know what? He has no place. He has, he has no problem being a replacement Christ putting a replacement Christ into our thoughts. And so we test these things by the word of God. And again, I say it again, I said this earlier, if we change who Jesus is, we change Christianity. We must hold on to what the scriptures teach about Jesus. It says that God dwelt among us. And so when the scripture says, we can turn back to, first, I mean, to, to the gospel of John chapter one, so we can, we can continue on going through the scripture here. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When we look at this dwelling among us, it's important for us to get this, that God dwelling among us in the flesh not only points us back to the tabernacle in the wilderness, but it points us back to the Garden of Eden. Why? Because in the Garden of Eden, God creates man in his own image, in his own likeness. Man in his sinless state, which is what Adam was in, he was there, and who did he walk with? God. Who dwelt there with him? God. And so what we find is that God didn't just come up all of a sudden, well, you know what? I want to be with man in the, in, in the tabernacle. No, God wanted to walk with man from the beginning. But what does that take? It takes us further than that because it brings us to the present reality that God didn't, want, didn't, didn't just want to dwell with Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't just want to dwell with the children of Israel in, in, in the wilderness. God didn't just want to dwell with those. But Jesus came to this earth to die in our place for what? So that way God could dwell with us now. See, God wants intimacy with us now. He doesn't, want, he, he, he doesn't want you to wait till you go to heaven. He wants us to know him now. He wants to dwell among us now. He wants relationship with us now. Jesus paid this great price for what? So we could have a relationship with him. He paid this great price so we could walk in intimacy with him. He paid this great price so that way he could dwell among us. Why? Because God cannot dwell where there is sin. Hello. Something has to remove the sin factor, and the only thing that does that is blood. And so the blood of Jesus does what? Because all men are sinful. We are all born into sin, right? We were having a conversation, having a conversation with a brother, with a brother the other day, and I say this often, we are not only born into sin, so we're not only born into sin with a sinful nature, but we sin by our will. We willfully rebel against God. Adam is a prime example. He did not have a sinful nature. Are you hearing me? And what did he do? He chose to rebel against God. He chose to break the one command that God gave him. God gave him one commandment that he said no. The only only thing that God said no to is the one thing Adam decides, that's what I want. 
It's something within us that just automatically, we see with our children. You tell your child no, it's like they want to do it even more. It's like they're looking for moments when you're not looking so they can do what you said no to. Hello. Right? That's what they do. The more you say no, the more they, the more they want to get their way. And so it's the same thing with us. You know, we think that's just teenagers. No, that's all of us. We just learn to hide it better. Hello? It's not just little toddlers, you know, that, that want to, like, walk around, act like you ain't talking to them. Hello? That's all of us. Act like God is not talking to us. God is speaking to us. God is calling us to live a life that brings glory and honor to him. God is calling us to live in a way. But why is that? Is it just because he wants some good kids? I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't just want my son to act right, you know, because I want him to act right, because I want to be this amazing dad. It's not that. It's because I don't. Let me, can I say it honestly? I want my son to act right so I don't have to discipline him. Are you hearing me? I don't want my touch of my son to be a spanking in his butt or his hand because he did something that he shouldn't do. You want to know what I want? I want my touch of my son to be an embrace. I want the touch of my son to be a kiss. I want the touch of my son to be tickles. I don't want it to be the harsh disciplines that come because of a rebellious heart. And can I tell you something? God is the same way. He doesn't just want you to act right because he wants to just make you act right. He wants to dwell with you. And he can't dwell with you in intimacy if you are living in constant sin and rebellion. So Jesus has to come because of what? Because we are all on our way to hell, separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus comes and dies in our place. He takes the ultimate beating for us. He, he absolves us of this sin debt that we have. He becomes the ransom. He becomes the one who dies in our place so that way we can do what? So that way we can be embraced by God the Father. So we can have a relationship with God the Father. We cannot have a relationship with God the Father because of our righteous deeds because we will never be righteous enough. It's a sin issue that separates us from God, but Jesus comes, lives perfectly, doesn't sin, and dies in our place. So that way we can have a right relationship. And listen, if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know he died for you. He died for every single one of your sins. He died for all of them. And what he wants to do is he wants you to trust him. He wants you to put your faith in him. He wants you to make a decision to turn from your sin and to trust him as your savior. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his child. Today, he wants you to make that decision. He wants you to repent and say, God, I realize I need you. I realize that I'm on my way to an eternity separated from you in hell, but I thank you for the great sacrifice you made. I thank you because you became a man and died in my place, and now you offer me new life. You offer me a new beginning. You offer me all of these things based on what? Because I'm good, because I'm cute, because I smell good? No. You offer me all of these things because you are good, because you are gracious, because you are loving. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's witness points to God in the flesh. The first thing we realize is that God becomes a man. The second thing that we see in verse 15, it says, John bore witness of him, speaking of Jesus. And this is not John, the writer of this book. This is John the Baptist or John the baptizer. And it says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. 
And so next week, we'll talk a little bit more in detail about John the Baptist because there's a lot more stuff to talk about in his witness here that testifies who Jesus is. But I don't want to just bypass the scripture because it's there in the context for us. And so the next thing that we see is that God's witness points to God in the flesh. Again, we see John the Baptist mentioned as testifying. Literally, he's crying out, declaring boldly. He is emphatic in what he's communicating. Me and John the Baptist would have got, got along real well, amen? I like to cry out. I like to emphatically communicate stuff. And the truth of the matter is, is that he was emphatically communicating something. He was making it clear. The one thing, it is, it is that it is all about Jesus. That's what his declaration is, and that's what we'll talk about next week as well. It is all about Jesus. He points out, he's like, look, man, he said, he's, he's crying out. He said, this was the one. He was the one of whom I told you, the one who comes after me is preferred before me. Because what? Because he was before me. And so what is John the Baptist letting us know? John declares not only, well, first of all, let's point this out. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. So there's a problem with what he's saying if Jesus is not eternal. Are you hearing me? Because there was no way that Jesus could have been before him if he's not talking about something outside of the natural. Because John was, oh, that's, that's, that's my little cousin. Straight up. That's my younger cousin right there. I'm six months older than him. As a matter of fact, the first time he walked into my house, I was in my mama's womb and I was jumping. Hello. Right? I mean, that, that, that's a testimony of John the Baptist here. And so what happens is when he declares this, he is letting us know some things. He is, he, he is letting us know of what? The preexistence of Jesus, again doing what? Affirming the deity of Jesus. Why is his testimony so important? Because his testimony points back to what? It points back to what the beginning said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He shows the preexistence. But what he does in this statement here is he points out that Jesus was what was before him in importance as well in existence. He was preferred before him also. See, that's the kind of heart that we got to have, church. That it's, it's, it's really about Jesus. See, this is something that I have to check my own heart on all the time. Because, you know, sometimes you read the Psalms, right? And you, and you read Psalms and you're like, Lord, you know, and, and, and David prayed some hardcore prayers. Like, he, I, I never, I, I mean, I see David pray for mercy for his enemies, but a lot of times he's like, Lord, can you just, and I'm just going to paraphrase, can you just like lay the smack down? Can, 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 can you repay them for all the evil they've done? David's like, Lord, you know my righteousness, but you know them, they're crazy, so go on and get with them. Just saying, that's, that's a big paraphrase, but the point is, right, <laughs> David was like, listen, God, you know my righteousness. I'm like, David, you're crazy because I can't even say that, right? But David is like communicating this, and so what I realize is that there is a serious, I mean, there's a seriousness to God, right? God is going to, obviously, he's going to deal with people in ways that are going to be harsh if they don't repent of their sin, right? But here's the thing, church. We have to be those people who are witnessing and who are communicating the heart of God to this world and that we really make it all about Jesus. And when we pray, see, here's the thing. This is where I got to check my heart because sometimes I'm like, God, I want you to deal with them, but is it because of you? <laughs> or is it because I just feel like I just want to see them suffer? <laughs> or God, I want you to do something in my life but then I have to ask this question, is it really for your glory or is it just because I really want it? And so you know when it gets really confusing? It's when you want something that's good, but you have to ask the question, but is it really about you? 
Like, Pastor Chad wants his voice back, but is it really because he wants to talk? And I'm just, I'm joking. Listen, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. When I pray for the church, seriously, when I pray and I'm like, God, I pray that you would add unto this church daily those who are being saved. Is that a, is that a biblical prayer? Say amen, yes. All right, that's what, the, that's what God did in the book of Acts, right? Biblical. It's, it's, it's biblical, biblical premise, but you know what I have to do every, every single time? Not sometimes. There is never a time that I pray that prayer and I'm not like God, but I don't want to, I, don't, I, don't, I know that there's something in me that it's about Jason. I'm just being honest with you. I'm, just, I'm trying to be transparent because a lot of times, you know, we, we want to be dishonest and want to act like there's, we have all these great intentions. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, there are some, there are some intentions. It's not like it's impure, but it's not all about Jesus. It's not all about him. And so what happens is we have this right mindset. We have this right heart that we have to have. And so when, when we're looking at this here, that has to be the mindset that we have, church, that it is really all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about bringing him glory and honor. And I'll say this. The church must regain this bold conviction that John had. We must return to the place that it really is all about Jesus because um, that, that, that it's all about Jesus. Causes can be good, but they fall short of the one thing that should consume our hearts, and that is to make his glory known. See, the church today, we get caught up in a bunch of different causes, and I'm not saying causes are bad. There's some really great causes that we stand up for. There's some really great causes that we need to be all about, you know, making sure the truth is known. But can I tell you something? Don't stop at the cause. Don't stop at just what that causes. Make sure that there is one thing that you want to make abundantly clear. It is not about the cause alone. It is about the Savior alone. It is about Jesus alone. It is about him and what he's done for us. We have to regain that heart. The third thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God in the flesh imparted abundant grace unto us who believe. God in the flesh imparted abundant grace unto us who believe. We go on in the scripture. It says in verse 16, it says, And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus, God in the flesh, it says here, was full of grace, of his fullness we receive. I love that word fullness there because when I looked it up, what it means is it's literally like a loaded ship. And so when Jesus comes to this earth, he comes to this earth as a loaded ship. Now listen, while he is 100% man and he is 100% God at the same time, and he limits himself because he doesn't want to play, and I said this in the Wednesday night and I repeat it again, God, when Jesus was in the flesh, he wasn't Clark Kent. Are you hearing me? It's problematic if Jesus was Clark Kent. You want to know why? Because then he wasn't really like us. He, re he really wasn't tempted. He really, he didn't have, he didn't have, he didn't have a one-up on us. The only thing that Jesus didn't have that we have is that he did not have what? He did not have a sinful nature. That's it. But you know what? He was filled with the Spirit just like we have to be. Are you hearing me? He needed the Holy Spirit when he was in his flesh on this earth. He had to have that. But it says here that he was loaded. 
He was loaded. He came to this earth. Of his fullness, we have all received. Of his fullness, not of our fullness. You know what? Because here's the thing. He's full. We're empty. Are you hearing me? The thing is that some of us come to God as though we're like half full. I'm going to fill myself up and then I'll just let you like top me off. Are you hearing me? That's how we act. Because we don't understand our depravity. See, that's the reason why I confess stuff and I want to make it known because, see, there's two groups of people in here. There's the ones that can appreciate it. There's the other ones that are going to judge me. I do it for the ones that appreciate it. There's the ones that are going to be like, oh, Bishop, man, he's got such a wicked heart. Yeah, I do. Sorry. But I'm redeemed, amen? <laughs> she didn't mean it like that, all right? I'm just saying she, I love you. Anyway, maybe she did mean it like that. I don't know. I'm just wicked. But here's the thing. I'm redeemed, right? I'm washed in this precious blood. The truth of the matter is, is that we have to have, we, 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 we have to have this understanding of how empty we are. See, I understand it clearly. That's why I, I don't have a problem. You know, some people, they don't want to hear about being sinners. Listen, I don't have a problem. I know that. It's not, it's not a revelation. Hello? <laughs> I, I, I'm just thanking God for Jesus. Amen. I'm thanking God that I'm saved because of the one that died on the cross for me. I'm thanking God for the one who, every time I'm reminded I'm a sinner, you know what I'm reminded of? The greatness of my Savior. That's it. That is all I'm reminded of. I'm reminded of the greatness of this Savior. I'm reminded of this one, of his fullness I received. He came here full because what? Because we needed to be filled. Because man is empty in and of himself, no matter how much he has. The other day I was listening, or yesterday, Minister Juan, he posted something on Facebook. And, and, and I, listen, some of y'all are going to get offended when I say this, but whatever. Um, you know, he posted about Katy Perry. And he, and he was talking, and in this video, it was talking about all of this stuff in this, in this girl's life. And I had friends, I mean, I had friends, and none of you that are in here that I know of, because I didn't see any of y'all. But I had friends that were posting on Facebook during the, during the Super Bowl. And they were talking about that's performance and this and that. And they were talking about Lenny Kravitz and all this other, and I was like, man, and then I noticed the song that she was singing with this guy was this song about when I kissed a girl. And I have professing Christians getting excited about a girl singing a song with a dude promoting lesbianism. That really brings glory to God, I'm just saying. That's really something. Oh, but I was just looking at it for the lights, camera, action. I don't care what you were looking at it for. You have a demon that is behind this stuff, promoting this stuff. But here's the point. The point is that her ex-husband is on this show. And he's, and he's talking about, well, and he, and he was real blunt about it. He said, I've had a lot of money. That's boring. He's like, I've slept with a bunch of women. That's boring. He's like, I've had all kinds of success. That's boring. And he comes to the point in his life that he realizes, I've had everything and I'm empty. And the only thing that's left for me to try is spiritual enlightenment. Now listen, I don't know where it went. The, the video stopped there. I don't know if he's talking about Christianity. But you know what everyone does? Everyone, who, they come to a point where they realize that they can have everything and really have nothing. You know what this proves? This, this proves what I'm trying to say is that we are all empty and we need to be filled by the one who's loaded. Hello. I'm just saying. And so it's not just about being spiritual. Understand this. You cannot have true spiritual enlightenment apart from Jesus. It's not about just becoming in tune with whatever, you know, the vibrations of the universe. I don't know. It's not about that. It's about coming to the realization of your need for the Savior. It's about coming to the, to the realization of your need and the fact that the only hope that there is is really in Jesus Christ. 
It says, of his fullness, we all received. And he says, grace for grace. And I've talked about this before, but this always like stands out to me. And we receive grace for grace. And the way that this is literally translated in the original is it says grace instead of or grace in place of. Jesus was loaded as the incarnate word, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, the substance of the ultimate salvation promise. And when it says here that we have received from him grace instead of grace, what he's saying is that throughout your Bibles, you see pictures of grace, right? You see grace in the Old Testament. I mean, you see a guy by the name of Noah. The only reason he was spared is because of what? Because he was good? No, you, re- you read the story wrong. Hello. It's because God was gracious. God was merciful to him. That's the reason why. You see these people in the scripture, like Job, you know, people were, God was merciful to them. He, he grants them grace. But then the, one of the greatest pictures of grace, you know what it was? It was when God, you know, makes this covenant with a guy by the name of Abraham. And it was not because Abraham was so great. It's because God was gracious. And then God does something else. He gives them this thing called the law. That's why he says here in the next verse, and it says, and through Moses came the law. Because what what we do is we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so he says we receive grace upon grace or grace instead of grace. And so what happens is God shows the people of, of Israel grace by doing what? By giving them these Ten Commandments. He shows them grace. He shows them what to do. The whole sacrificial system, that's all God's mercy because he doesn't want to destroy people. So he gives you what? He gives you the opportunity to make sacrifice, to be forgiven of sins. That's what he does. Leviticus, read it. The first it's like seven chapters is all about the different sacrifices that the children of Israel could make to God regarding their sin. But what, he, what, 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 Jesus, what, what John is pointing out here is that through Jesus, we received grace, New Testament grace instead of Old Testament grace. We have received grace instead of grace. We have received grace that is greater than the grace of the Old Testament. So you know why this grace is greater? Because if you have been born again, if you are really walking with Jesus, you know what? You don't need to worry about your salvation. You don't need to worry about does God love you? You don't need to worry about am I forgiven? You know why? Because of the grace of God, I know I'm forgiven. Because of the grace of God, I know I'm his child. Because of the grace of God, I know my life is secure forever in his hands. Amen, somebody. If I'm his child, I am secure in that grace. Not like the Old Testament. Oh, man, I don't know. Old Testament grace, but I got to make sure. Let me give this peace offering. Let me give this sin offering. Let me give this trespass offering just in case I did something I didn't even realize it. Hello. You know how crazy that is? That's a form of grace, but it's, but it's grace halfway. I call, I call it grace halfway. Hello. Right? Grace light. There you go. We'll go with that. But we have grace upon grace. Grace for grace. And so that's what God gives us. And so what else to receive? Through the, through, the, through the incarnate word, God becoming man, we have received two major things here. So read on with me. It says in verse 16, it says, Of his fullness we have, re- we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that we receive that's huge here that we see, and there's much more, but in this context, this is what we see, is that we receive freedom from the condemnation of the law into grace, which is salvation or forgiveness of sin based upon what Jesus has done, and then truth, which is the fulfillment of the law in Christ and freedom from the power of sin. So we, are, so we are released, we are forgiven, we are brought into this grace and this truth because of Jesus who comes to this earth. That's a beautiful thing. Because of Jesus who comes to this earth, 
We are now part of this family. We now walk in truth that does not change. Are you hearing me? Jesus told the Pharisees, he was preaching to them, and he told them, and we'll look at it later on. That's why we're not going to turn there right now as we continue on in the book of John. But what, it, but what he tells them is that you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so there is freedom in the truth that is, that is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The second thing that he says here, he says, no one, in verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Speaking of God the Father, no one has seen God at any time. No one could see God. When Moses asked to see God, God was like, no one can see me. And he let him see his backside, but that was it. No one has seen God in the, fullness of, in the fullness of his glory. Why? Because we would all die if we saw the glory of God. Are you here? He says, the only begotten of the Son. Again, pointing out what? When he's saying the only begotten, he's talking about the one who is different than anyone else because he is equal with God when he's saying the only begotten. He's saying it is the only begotten son. It says this. He says, who is in the bosom of the father has declared him. I love this. The second thing is the revelation of God. Because Jesus came to this earth, we get the revelation of God. Jesus is the only begotten of God, equal to God the father. And he is the exegeomai, or the explanation, the narrative he is the revelation of who God is. He is the one who shows us who God is. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that we cannot know God the Father apart from God the Son. No one has seen him. No one can understand him. But what Jesus does is he comes to this earth and he comes in the form of a man to show us who God is. To show us how God thinks. To show us the way God is. To show us the answer to what would God do in these situations. This is what God would do in these situations. He gives us this revelation. And so my closing question for you is this. Is the word being made flesh in and through your life? Big question. Is the word being made flesh in and through your life? The Bible says what? says, and the word became flesh. And so what I mean is, is the life of God being lived through your life? Is God's purposes being lived through your life? Or are his purposes being lived, or is his will being worked out in your life? Are you being an extension? See, because here's the thing. We have this message of this risen Savior that is the most important message, a message that does what? That brings us freedom from our sin, that brings us the revelation of who God is. And you know what, church? My question is this. Do we really hold that message as being as amazing and as important as it really is? Do you carry that message as the life-changing message, or is it just, well, you know, I could tell them about Jesus. Is the word being made flesh in and through your life? Is Jesus living his life through you or are you living for yourself? Are you living for his glory or are you living for your glory? Here's the beauty of this is if you're honest and you say, man, God, I'm not living for your glory. God offers you hope. Because of his sacrifice, you can come to God, repent of that sin and, and do what? And begin to live for his glory. And it's not by your strength, it's not by your power, it's not by your ability, it is by his spirit, it is by his ability in you. Stand to your feet and let's pray together. Hallelujah.
Father, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you for the greatness of your grace. We thank you for the greatness of your mercy. We thank you because you brought us here today, God. Father, we stand in awe of who you are. You are the great I am. You are the great, great God. And Lord, we just worship you. We adore you. We bless you. We honor your name today. And Father, I just pray for each of the people that are in this place, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray first and foremost for those who are not your children in this place. I pray that they would turn from their sin, that they would trust you as their Savior. I pray that they would confess and recognize their need for you. And I pray that today, Lord God, would be the beginning of a new life with you. I pray for those that are your children in this place, God, for those of us that have committed our lives, God. But, Father, we're not living for your glory as we should. Father, let the message of you becoming man full of grace and truth fill our hearts, God, with awe again. Father, help us to live out the truths of your word. God, we want you to be glorified. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' great name, amen. Give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.